This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. After a week of rain and another week of rain in the forecast, we could see a number of issues in the young corn crop. Most of these problems stem from the same original issue of poor root growth during the prolonged periods of water saturation. The roots will eventually catch up, but in the meantime, there is risk. It's very likely we'll see some amount of nitrogen and sulfur deficiency for a short period. There could be plenty of those nutrients in the soil, but the drought roots has trouble getting to them, and also trouble pulling those nutrients in. Adequate phosphorus and potassium become more important in cooler, wet soils as well, also due to the stunted roots less able to seek out those nutrients. These deficiency symptoms will hopefully be temporary, and the corn will green back up when it dries out, and the roots are able to again expand into the soil. One odd problem that really isn't an issue but can look like a serious problem is when corn is slowed down and then grows too rapidly, it can get twisted whirl syndrome. This is where the newly emerged leaves get caught up in the whirl and don't unfold properly. Basically, the plant gets ahead of itself and tries to push out too many leaves at once. As time goes on, the whirl will sort itself out, but the new leaves will be yellow for a few days. As for the fields around the flooded Neosha River and a number of other riverside fields, an issue that won't be seen until later during tasseling is Crazy Top. Crazy Top is caused by fungus that can swim, a type of zoospore that infects young plants. Flooded fields mean the spores can swim around more easily, and pooled water and dirt in the worlds gives the fungus an easy place to infect the corn. There will be some symptoms before tasseling, such as excessive tillering and twisted leaves, but Crazy Top tassels are the most obvious. The rivers have flooded again and again for multiple years in a row now, so there is more likely Crazy Top fungus built up in the soils. There is no way to stop the disease once it has infected the plants, and although it is usually not a field-wide disease, it does reduce yields in the affected plants, and there is no treatment for the infected corn either. Of course, in Kansas, another risk is that the rains could suddenly stop, and the roots will have a hard time supporting a quickly growing top. This is what happened last year when we had a wet spring and then a sudden dry summer. This also increases the chances of corn being blown over too. The roots that branch out from the corn nodes act as an anchor, the advantageous roots, and are susceptible to hot dry weather. Because the corn was slowed down early, these roots are still developing, and the corn is mostly at risk when it's a couple of feet tall. Right now, the corn is mostly being held up by the true roots, but a hard wind when the corn isn't ready can knock them over. Soil erosion from the heavy early storms that wash the soil away from the base of the plant or soil compaction, reducing the true root growth, will make flopped over corn more likely. For the most part though, starting off the growing season with fully saturated soil profile is never a bad thing. If there are any questions about issues in young corn plants or soybean fields, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. In late 2019, the American Association of Bovine Practitioners updated the guidance for dehorning practices. Dehorning recommendations are now separated from castration and pain mitigation strategies have been added. Statistically speaking, the number of U.S. beef cattle that are genetically horned has dramatically decreased. The vast majority of beef cattle producers have embraced the opportunity to incorporate pulled genetics. 
This selection has decreased the need to practice dehorning cattle. Dehorned cattle require less trough space, are less dangerous to handle and transport, and present a lower risk of injury to other animals. Producers with horned cattle may find that a written dehorning plan improves efficiencies in animal welfare. A successful plan will lay out the protocol for skilled personnel to adequately restrain and appropriately administer pain management. Furthermore, wound management to avoid infection and flies is addressed. This written protocol is developed along with the veterinarian and establishes the best age in dehorning technique, minimizing stress and promoting healing. There are two common forms of horn removal, disbudding and mechanical removal of the horns. Disbudding involves the removal of the horn producing corium in young calves. This can occur in as early as 24 hours of life. As with any procedure, care must be taken to prevent injury. Disbudding is preferable over dehorning, but it is not often practical. The next best method is to dehorn stock before they're three months old. Producers should follow the plan established by their veterinarian to take into consideration their particular facilities. Another way to improve dehorning practices involves the consideration of both physical and chemical restraint. Recommended restraint techniques maintain both human and animal safety as well as minimize stress. Facilities should be in good working order and safely secure the head of the calf. Chemical restraint may be considered in conjunction with physical restraint. Sedatives should be used only on the order of a veterinarian. Although some sedatives may offer pain control, many do not and pain management should be employed to improve animal welfare following the procedure. Dehorning is inherently painful. The American Association of Bovine Practitioners now consider pain management strategies basic care for disbudding and dehorning procedures. Local anesthesia can provide immediate relief for up to five hours following the procedure. Longer term pain control can be achieved using non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, also known as NSAIDs. The NSAID chosen must be prescribed by a licensed vet for this extra label use. Dehorning processes and ultimately the producer's return on investment can be improved by the implementation of these techniques and regular communication with your vet. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is a David Scrantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties, with your K-State Research and Extension report. Warmer weather and moisture are the perfect combination for internal parasites to thrive, which makes internal parasite management a priority for sheep and goat producers in the spring and summer. To be able to effectively manage and control internal parasites in your herd, it is important to recognize the symptoms. When sheep or goats are burdened with parasites, there are a variety of symptoms that can be used to identify if an animal is infected with parasites and which parasites are causing the problem. Some general symptoms typical of parasite infections are diarrhea, 
weight loss or reduced weight gain, unthriftiness, loss of appetite, rough hair coat, and reduce reproductive capacity and performance. In the case of humongous parasites, more commonly known as barber pole worms, anemia and edema or swelling are key symptoms. The barber pole worm can consume up to one-tenth of an animal's total blood volume in a day. Anemia is most easily identified in small ruminants by the color of the mucous membranes, particularly those in the lower eyelid. A normal animal will have healthy red mucous membranes, while one heavily burdened with barber pole worms will exhibit light pink or white membranes. Edema may also occur in animals heavily burdened with barber pole worms. This accumulation of fluid will be most obvious as swelling in the lower jaw, a condition referred to as bottle jaw. Diarrhea is not a common symptom of barber pole worm infection, although it has been known to occur in some cases. To evaluate if an animal has a large barber pole worm load, Fomantia scoring, which evaluates the inner eyelid color of the animal and scores the animal based on the color, can help determine the internal parasite load of the animal. To get a more accurate ideal of the amount and type of internal parasites an animal has, fecal egg counts can be done to measure the number of eggs shed in the feces the main goal in attempting to control barber pole worms and other internal parasites is to break the life cycle, which can be done in a variety of ways. Three methods include the use of dewormers, animal management, and pasture management. Using a combination of these three will usually give the best results and the best chance of breaking the life cycle of barber pole worms and other internal parasites in your herd. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave Strauss with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. This is Jesse Gilmore with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. With record-setting rainfall last year and a quick start to the rainfall this year, it's important to select plants that can tolerate wet feet. Very few plants will survive constant soil saturation, but some plants grow better in wet conditions than others. Native plants that are adapted to the region's growing conditions are more likely to survive than imported exotics. Oftentimes, plants that tolerate wet soils must also grow well in clay, as clay soils are more likely to have drainage issues. When planting new trees and shrubs, you might be tempted to incorporate soil amendments into the planting hole in order to improve drainage. Adding organic matter or sand into the planting hole will help with drainage only as far down as you dig. Trying to improve drainage in this matter will be ineffective at keeping trees and shrubs alive unless you can improve the drainage throughout the entirety of the mature plant's root depth. The best way to ensure that what you plant survives is to choose the right plant for your soil texture and moisture. It is easy to think that because land is sloped, it will not have drainage issues. This is true on the surface where water is not going to pool and instead flow off. However, the soil texture beneath the surface can still allow poor water infiltration and drainage, especially in high water tables. 
clay soils are particularly susceptible to poor drainage. Being the smallest of the three soil parts, clay particles can be packed closer together than either sand or silt. With more particles packed closer together, there is less space for water and air to flow in, and when water is present in large quantities, infiltration takes longer. To determine the soil texture in a certain location, use the jar test. Take a clean, clear jar with a sealable lid and fill it one-third of the way full with soil, using a mesh sieve or colander to remove large debris and organic matter. Fill the rest of the jar with water, leaving some space at the top. Add one tablespoon of powdered dishwashing detergent, cap the jar, and shake vigorously until the soil becomes a slurry. Set on a level surface and time for one minute. After one minute, the sand particles will settle at the bottom. Measure the height of the sand layer and record. Allow to sit for two more hours, and after two hours, the silt layer will form. Measure and record the height of this layer as well. After 48 hours, the clay layer will settle. Measure the height of this layer. Add together the heights of each layer and divide each layer's height by the total height to determine the percentage of soil particles from each layer. Compare these percentages against a soil texture triangle to determine the texture of your soil. It is important to choose the right plant for your soil's texture. For a list of preferred plants for different soil textures and moisture contents, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at the Girard Extension Office at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore with K-State Research and Extension bringing you the Hort Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.